for a different reason today. Of course. Um, and uh, it's being talked about quite a lot, OneWeb and so forth, and uh, satellite uh, antennas and ground stations and so forth. Um, how's the project shaping up? It's been considered by the landlord controllers yesterday. They approved it uh, with the recommendation that it goes to the Governing Council with their support. Right. So where was you? So your obviously your involvement in all of this was to look at. Um, we had a, a, a an EAI uh, a, 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 a environmental impact assessment uh, done and so forth. Um, it must have taken quite a bit to put all this together. Um, looking at the, uh, the 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 science of uh, the the ground station and so forth. Um, How's it been for you, this particular? Because, of course, it's quite, it's quite a sensitive project as well. People, it's new to St. Helena. Well, it's, I think it's, it's a massive project. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And its impact is quite considerable as well. As far as the EIA is concerned, it's a document which needs to be prepared in order to look at the impact of the development. Mm. There, is, there is some misconception that EIAs are there to stop development happening. Mm. It's not. And EIAs is a, is a process which you have to go through. And the starting point of uh, an EIA is that uh, a request, first of all, is made to the planning officers to do a screening opinion. And that is to look at what are the impact of the proposal. And then based on that, then we do a, a scoping opinion, which is to set out some of the things the, the applicant should look at. And that's both in terms of the policy and both in terms of the environment. And I think since I've been here, I think we, we have actually widened it to also look at the economy and the social impact as well. Mm. And so the, the, uh, the practitioners, when they actually then undertake an EIA, they will look at what is required and then try to meet with that. In respect of this uh, particular development, obviously, the major impact is on the environment. Mm. And so therefore, a lot of the assessment is on how that affects the environment. It's a good document. Uh, even the uh, chief environment officer uh, acknowledged that it was a good document. It provided good baseline information. And it's also done a good assessment in terms of what the impact is. And as part of the EIA, is then to look at what is what mitigation can you actually put in place in order to reduce the adverse impact or enhance the positive impact. This is due diligence, isn't it? Because yeah. at the end of the day, we can't say in two years' time when the station is there that, oh, we should have considered this and we should have considered that. So all of these factors put together um, and all of the heads together and so forth, um, looking at from different angles, whether you're an archaeologist or uh, working for um, a national trust or working in planning, it's a collective effort. How does this differ, this particular project differ to perhaps some, some, something in, 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 in the UK, for instance? Um, well, in, in the UK, we, we tend not to do EIAs just for projects like this, uh, so some small projects. But here, because of the environment we have, we do tend to do EIAs for quite a few projects. I mean, the big one in, in the UK you may have heard of is the Heathrow uh, ex expansion. Yeah. And is that still a lot going on at the moment? Yeah, and wow. there was a big EIA with regards to that. It was challenged in court, uh, basically because it, it felt that uh, it didn't cover the climate sufficiently. And so major projects like that always have some drawbacks. Mm. Uh, you can do so much, 
but at the same time you will always find that you can actually still pick holes. In my career so far I've never come across an EIA which one party can't pick holes in. You mm. can always pick holes in. Mm. And it's one of those things because it's, it's a personal, sometimes it's very much a, an objective assessment, but other times some of the things can be quite subjective as well. Mm. Although we as professionals try to be as objective as possible in our assessment when we prepare these documents and also when we assess these documents as well. And, and of course there is that balance to be struck with ec economics and um, the, the uh, environment of the island and so forth. Or take for instance uh, terminal, uh, another terminal at Heathrow. Uh, there'll be lots of people who have the balance sheets in their hands and looking at that potential profit from investment and then there'll be pe there'll be people saying, "Well, hang on a minute now. You know, West London, for instance, might be saying, well, we don't want another uh, runway,' or so forth. So it's a really uh, a very thin line between that balance, isn't it? Yes, of course. The whole thing about sustainability is about getting that right balance between the three prongs, which is the economic, social, and environment. And sometimes, where you come, one, one comes from, or one's background can actually determine what your bias is sometimes. So if you're a, a conservationist, uh, you very much have environment at your forefront. If you're a, a, a strategic planner, you're very much economic based because you want to see prosperity. And quite often, the, drop, the line between the, the different things can be quite, quite narrow. Mm. And it, it, is, it is a balance. And I think you have to look at all the three prongs together and try to, to, to be as, as objective as possible uh, when you do. And obviously here on the island, where you actually have a, a lovely environment, you want to try to retain that environment and you want to enhance it. Mm. But at the same time, you also got to then balance that with the, what, what is the economic needs of the island? You know, how can it be, be self-sufficient? Uh, it relies upon uh, subsidies from the UK government and funding from the UK government. But at the same time, it's got to be so sustainable as well. So how do you actually balance that? You've got to encourage investment to allow the economy to grow. Similarly, you also want to ensure that there is a, a positive social impact on the, the, the lives of the local people. And that is both in terms of jobs and facilities and everything else. So it's, it's, it's a quite a difficult situation, but in, in eventually we, you, you get there mm. um, if you've got the commitment to do so. Looking at 47 square miles here on St Helena and then uh, comparing it to say somewhere that like London, now we have a smaller space, we should be able to um, agree and manage it, uh, uh, perhaps we, this is the idealist view of managing it very slickly here, but being a small island in comparison to, to say London, um, both both sides ha has its challenging features, you know, with, to, 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 regardless of the size of the land. Yeah, I mean, every place is challenging, and every place is different. You know, you compare uh, St. Helena to any other island, even Ascension, for example. You know, they've got their own uh, qualities, and they don't, they've got their own positive sides of it, or negative sides. Similarly, any urban areas in the UK we, we work in, exactly the same issues. Mm. I mean, big issues in, in the UK is it's about housing. And wherever you go, uh, in any authority you go to, housing is a big thing. And when, you, when you're allocating land for housing, there's, all, there's always objections. Mm. Because people, and particularly if you're in a rural area and you allocate land for housing, 
there would be a lot big objections from people. Some who actually come into that area because they like the, the quality environment, they'll say, I came here to enjoy the view. And now you're putting concrete in word about us. Yes. It is, it's, it's a very delicate balance. Yes. I, I, I guess people around the M25 who had a home before that went in and then didn't realise just how, well, you know, populations grow and things become busier and now the M25 is just... Uh, but but looking at the site, so here on St. Helena, we have that ability to be able to have those discussions and then sort of have more discussions on the street and so forth. A lot of changes happen in the UK. And actually, the man on the street or the woman on the street, they don't have a clue unless they read the newspaper. And then they may get a distorted version of what is happening on. They don't really have a clue about what the impact might be for them personally. Yeah, yeah. Well, Planning. When I, when I talk to people about planning, one of the things I always tell them is it has any development proposal will have an effect on people's lives. I mean, even think like if you want to have a shop uh, at your street, it'll have an impl some implication to somebody. You might, you might have next door to the property which is going to be converted into a shop. And yet, we sometimes turn a blind eye to these things, but planning is a process which affects everybody. Mm. And sometimes people only come across the planning process when they actually want to build their own house or want to do an extension to their own house. Or somebody next door has actually applied for a, uh, to build a, a property and it's going to have an impact on them. Mm. I mean, just recently we've had a, a proposed issue about a neighbour dispute, really, um, where somebody actually built something and it actually has an impact on the adjoining property. The person did that without planning permission. And now we actually have to view that. Mm. So the, the two people probably never had a, a, an involvement with the planning process previously. Mm. But now because something's happened, they now know what planning is about. Mm. And actually that whole um, a, a, a sort of ignorance is bliss. Some people might say, hey, I don't know, but they do know and actually do things that um, you know, planning-wise, that that that, sh that that and 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 um, don't do things according to what how it should be done. Yeah. I mean, when do you draw the line with regards to ignorance is bliss? Well, in in law, there's no defence for ignorance. That's you can ask. Yeah. You can at least ask if <laughs> if you're not sure. Yeah. You can ask. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, we do even on the on the island, we do get a lot of development which goes on without having development permission in the first place. But sometimes we actually, we actually then assess that situation and say, mm -hmm. well, does it actually require planning permission? Or then, if planning, if they had actually put an application in, would you have actually granted a planning permission for this? Mm -hmm. And if they do, if they do, uh, do something, well, obviously they need to come and talk to us. Mm -hmm. That's the thing we always tell people. If you want anything doing, come and talk to us. And yeah. uh, we will advise you whether to, to, you, what you want to do requires planning permission. What I will also say is that everything, in some ways or another, requires some sort of consent. Even when you don't actually require planning permission, what we, and you make what we determine as permitted development, i.e., you can do something without requiring planning permission. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, if you consult the planning department first, then they can advise you. Accordingly, what, what that really means is that there's an informal process and there's actually a formal process. The informal process is you come to us and say, 
and want to do something that's required planning permission. If it doesn't, then we can actually tell you from the information you've provided or give you a letter to the effect saying what you're proposing does not require planning permission. Mm -hmm. One of the things I actually encounter here quite often is that chief, previous chief planning officer, I talked to him and he said to me, I don't require planning permission. The problem is, I don't have anything on record. Right. I don't know what you actually told that chief planning officer. So if you actually have something in writing, you've given something in writing, you've got something in response, then at least I know it's on record what it was. And actually, just by saying, well, was word of mouth, doesn't let you off. Does it? Because it means that you don't have that bit of paper that says hey you know what we did have that conversation permitted development is a very interesting one because we did this with Ab uh, when, when I was sort of working on a project in, in Abingdon and we wanted to hang some signage that was quite specific to uh, um, uh, the the pharmacy group at the time but Abingdon being Abingdon is yes. you know a little small market town kind of thing and uh, we went to see the council um, and they were very 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 helpful yeah. um, but then, uh, Ishmael, sometimes you, 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 you get, um, uh, and again, like you say, you brought up about the whole bias with regards to what is my, what's been my conditioning. If, I'm, if I've been in conservation or so forth, you might get someone who's a little bit more, um, uh, a, a little bit more sort of um, uh, meticulous about certain things. Um, so... How do you, in planning, make sure that there is as much consistency from personality to personality? I think we, we try to be very consistent in our, in our approach here, uh, and that's what I actually tell my planning officers as well, that look at what you're doing, assess what, you, what, what it is in front of you, how it is actually relate to the legislation we have, the ordinance in this particular case, and then take that approach across, across of more all areas of work. If we give people different views at different times, then people become more confused. They don't know exactly where they stand. I hope, since I've been here, I've been actually been quite consistent in my approach. Even, I do stretch the flexibility of the legislation to its limit. I think sometimes you have to do that. And i just give an example. You know, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to put up a sign, do I not require planning permission? If that sign is acceptable, it doesn't require planning permission, and the, actual, the details you provided are sufficient, I said, fine, go ahead, do it, no problem. Mm. Classic case, really, was the, uh, this little symbol they've got on the Yacht Club. When the Yacht Club wanted to renovate the front of the building, they actually asked me, does, do, we want to put a little symbol, does it require planning permission? What, what they wanted to do, does not require planning because it, what I constitute is just not a development. However, some people will say it's, sort of, it's a listed building, it's in a conservation area, it's changing, it's altering the, the character of the building. When you paint something on a building, it's not that permanent. You can repaint it tomorrow, mm. come back and repaint it again. Mm. Mm. So therefore it does require planning permission. But the thing is, they went through a process they asked me for my opinion, I gave them my opinion, and they've got it in writing. Mm. So, if once I've gone, somebody else comes along and they say, well, yes, I need to record. Well, here is, here is the correspondence we've got with the chief planning officer. That's what we provided. And so we actually know what we're doing. But 
but I think most important is how we, how we can be consistent in our approach. Mm. Uh, and that's basically making sure that we look at everything in, in accordance with a, a bit of guidance. Yes, be flexible when, when flexibility allows you to, but if the, flexibility, if the flexibility isn't there, then I think you have to toe the line and say, you've got to follow the regulation. It requires plan permission, and then we go through the process. Because mm. even signage, uh, something like wording, now you'll laugh at this, but uh, we, uh, before my time, but the company that I was working for, put up a sign in Whitechapel. Um, so we put up the pharmacy sign, but they also put up um, some wording, um, uh, Islamic word, or, you know, sort of uh, wording. Um, and, and it wasn't quite correct. And everybody was laughing at the signage because they knew what we wanted to say, yeah. but it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't written in the right way. So even something like that, the context of, 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 yeah. of wording needs to be very carefully managed yeah. so that whatever community you are working in or you're living in yeah. uh, understands. Yeah. But the thing is, in terms of uh, uh, things like that, exactly what you actually put doesn't require privacy. If you want to put the words... A, B, C, D, fine, go put it with A, B, C, D. Tomorrow you may want to put X, Y, and Z. You can put WordPress. But the point, if, you, if you're actually building something, that requires planning permission, mm. but that your wording does not. Mm. And again, the example here is we had uh, the approval for the, uh, the slaves um, uh, monument on the top of uh, Ladder Hill. That was given permission. But exactly what the wording on the, uh, the monument was not approved because that did not require planning permission. What was really, really interesting, what is the structure mm -hmm. they want to put on? Absolutely. And then obviously the next question was, this is, what the, this is the wording you want to put. That doesn't require planning permission. Mm. So whoever wants to put that wording on had to go through another process with the, the, the decision makers for them to decide what that wording is. Mm. Not planning. Mm. And so you're more the bricks and mortar, aren't yeah. you? And sort of, um, uh, as you say, color turns. So looking at projects now, um, particularly uh, uh, when it comes to a sustainability, I found that when it comes to projects where, you know, they are specialist or sustainability and so forth and so on, things start to get a little bit more expensive because uh, we start to have specialists, but then we also have specialists different kinds of paint or material and so forth. We talked about that project in Tavistock. I mean, it was, you know, incredibly expensive because the conservation officer wanted um, certain colours and certain designs and certain so forth. And we had to have the old roof that goes, like like St. James's Church and so forth, that goes, it uh, turns a, a certain colour. Um, but, but we have to be, when do you... Uh, uh, what kind of compromises can you make in a society where you know every penny counts um, and obviously just managing um, managing it so that if, if if a developer comes to you and says look you know i'm i'm really struggling to to uh, provide this whether for shipping reasons or whatever and i need to get this project done when do you make, make a compromise or, or do you make a temporary compromise when it comes to planning and say right okay i'll allow that but that must be changed as soon as yeah. You. Oh, so, 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 sometimes colours can be quite subjective. Uh, we've had, I think, a couple of incidents on the island when we've been short of material, roof materials, and people have said, "Could we have to use a different colour roof material?" We do tend to stipulate uh, 
sometimes we, in some cases we say red, other times we say grey. I don't know what the background to that is, but that, that's where we've actually ended up. So there have been cases where we've actually said, you've got to put this colour of roof on, and then applicants have come back and said, it's not available on the island and I need to put it on. I think in that situation, you've got to be have flexible approach. You can be quite ditty sometimes with regards to colours or colour schemes. But here on the island, I think, that generally speaking, yes, we've got hist historic areas, we've got listed buildings, but none of them are, in terms of detail, so significant that what one paint colour can make that much difference. Mm. But, and I'll give you a classic case, when I was working at Luton, in the conservation area, we had a building. Over the weekend, it was painted pink. <laughs> <laughs> there was a big outcry. The big outcry saying, you can't have a pink building in a conservation area. It wasn't listed, but it was in a conservation area. But there's nothing you can actually do about it. It's, it's a taste. Yes, it's not the right colour for, but unless you actually have specific control in the area, you can't actually control the colour. Yeah. The, what, what the, I think the, the case you're giving in terms of uh, Tavistock, where you, some, some of those conservation areas have actually got conservation management plans mm. and they set up very clearly how they will deal with some of those issues. When you've got those guidelines in place, then I think you've got to adhere to them. We, here on the island, we don't actually have conservation management So that's what my, that was going to be my next question, that when we talk about consistency across the board um, and you leave and someone else comes or someone else, you know, sort of stands in and so forth, there is a manual or, you know, a set of documents that we can refer to that says if you're in Jamestown and if you're renovating uh, somewhere near or whatever, you know, sort of in a protected area or so forth, um, then you need to have this, 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 a, a matrix of, yeah, yeah. of, of, of uh, or specification, shall I say, and, and, and detail. Yeah, the thing that's it, we don't actually have conservation management plans. When you actually de designate an area, you should set up guidance in terms of how future renovations, conservation, preservation, could actually work, but some so of those documents, preparing those documents takes a long time. And I thought the, the problem we have is we don't have the resources, we don't have the skills. And that's, I think, one of the areas I really want to focus on as well, just to expand further. We don't have those, therefore we, we're not able to produce those documents. Because I suppose before you know how to, go, to, to manage the areas, you have to know what you've got. Yeah. And I know that um, there is an initiative to go around and do an audit um, and, and, and create asset registers on um, various buildings and so forth for various elements of heritage. And that's at least a start. Yeah. Um, but... Um, we don't kind of want to find that we're behind again in two, three years. I mean, and this is something that actually, even though you mention expertise, you could get an administration person to sit down and once they've had, or they, if they have guidance, to, to start to put these things together. Yeah. I think if, if you could actually produce something, a doc, document which sets out very clearly what, how we might deal with these things and what, what we look for, that certainly would be a, a big help for a lot of people. But unfortunately, we don't have to have that. And that's, like I say, issue of um, expertise on the island is very limited. I think, again, probably that's been through isolation because we're so far away from everybody else. Or the fact that we don't actually have a good internet service on the island and we can't search on the, on the internet to find those, that information. 
all those factors do actually make a lot of difference. Mm. So, once it, when we have a better internet on the island, perhaps people will be more uh, more knowledgeable because they'll be able to search that information. Mm. And also, information is available on the elsewhere, and we can actually use some of that information. But coming back to your point on conservation and historic environment, if we can actually produce the guidance then it does provide a consistency approach. Quite often we are actually chasing our tail in some ways in that we're trying to say what what do we do in this situation mm. because we don't actually have guidance. That's very, very interesting that. It's particularly interesting uh, 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 for me um, just because, as I say, you know, for all of the uh, projects that we that we had to do and, 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 you know, we grew phenomenally in the last few years, uh, when I was at my other company, but we had to know where we were, were first before we knew what we were yeah. sort of uh, drawing up specs and doing, you know, uh, uh, having architect plans and doing proposals, putting together business plans and so forth. So, but going back to why we started this conversation in the first place, uh, so uh, people might say these uh, antennae now they're, they're, they're you know we're going to get heaps of radiation come off them and uh, you know we're all going to get sick and stuff from them that's not true is it it's not <laughs> i mean you may recall when, when when the mobile phones first came into in, came into play and obviously with them you also needed to put the all these antennas all over the place and there's a big outcry all over the world about what the implication of health would be and people said yes we use the phone, but I don't want that antenna near my house. And you know, and I understand a number of public meetings in the UK when I was working there on these issues. Because weren't yeah. people burning or, um, and absolutely uh, vandalising 5G masts recently? Yeah. 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 So yes, there are uh, things. Sometimes when, when you don't know, the, you don't know what the full implications are. Obviously, we are very sceptical about them. But obviously, over the period of time, it has shown. Yes, it does actually have some effect on health, but it's not absolutely crucial in, in, that, in that it doesn't affect you that much mm. so yes those antennas we're going to put with the the other station we're going to put up they will have some radiation but it will be very minimal mm. and secondly it is not close to any residential areas so the, therefore the impact is going to be less yes people will be visiting the, those sites there's also obviously uh, employment areas close by as well but again you're not within the vicinity of the, uh, the, the and the no radiation. interference as well with regards to flights. People might say, oh, you know, flights coming in and it's going to interfere with the flight and mess up the navigation equipment and so forth, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not, no, it's not going to affect that either. No, because, mm. Again, they, they use different uh, frequencies in both cases. Mm. So the frequency for the... Uh, uh, the intent is very different from the that used by the airport, so it's not going to have any effect on those. And there were three, I believe there were three proposed locations uh, for uh, these uh, satellite, uh, for, for the for the ground station. Um, why was Horse Point the preferred point, uh, a place then? Initially, we looked at a number of sites, we looked at a number of sites, and obviously every site we looked at has got environmental issues. I think the, the only benefit, possibly, of the Horse Point site is that it's easily accessible. Whereas, sort of like White Hill, the site itself might be better and has less impact, but actually getting to that site is not easy. Mm -hmm. And in order to actually 
get, get to that site is going to cause water destruction along the way. So you've got to have a corridor which will be environmentally affected. So it's the balance is which, is, which site is better. Mm. Bradley Camp was considered as well, and that was before the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic. That site could have been quite ideal, but once the uh, COVID-19 uh, hit, then that site was considered as a quarantine, so therefore that then site became out of consideration. Mm. So it's a, it's a balance. But you have to undertake more detailed assessment, like with the EIA, then you realise what the site, the implications are. If, if for example, if they decided to proceed with the EIA, they would have had to do an EIA, not just for the site itself, but they would have to do an EIA for the whole of the corridor for transportation as well. Mm. And that's two different EIAs, because the road itself would have been separate from the uh, and you must have had to also look ahead um, when it came to um, thinking, you know, the sort of future uh, uh, proposals. We, we, we've, uh, I suppose, the world over very often um, says hindsight is a wonderful thing, uh, but we need some, some, you know, we need something else and so forth here in this area. And so you must have had to look quite far ahead with regards to potential uh, development or, or housing situations, housing shortages or anything like that when deciding that, yes, look, this is definitely the place and we're not going to be obstructing or disrupting or uh, causing any issues with future uh, activity, um, residential activity or whatever. Well, I think, first of all, let's be clear, but the, the, the whole proposal... It's not led by me, mm. it's led by the applicant. Mm. So for the applicant to consider all the, the different development options. But obviously my job then is to advise the applicant what other things he needs to consider, and mm. that is what else is happening in that area which could actually have an impact. Yes, I think in terms of Horse Point um, area, you, within the vicinity there are other developments, and obviously one of the things we're quite conscious of, it will have a community, community Cumulative impact mm. on the, the on the, the area because there are other developments that all have impact. Uh, we've got the, uh, the wind turbines at the Deadwood Plain. We've also got um, the prison application, which was approved. And just a few weeks back, we also had a fuel station application at uh, Bottlewood area as well. And we've also got the the, C, the two CDAs uh, in Bottlewood. Yeah, all those things could have implications, but. I think at the, end, at, the end, at the end of the day, it is for the applicant to say, right, which is the best site for him to, 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 to proceed with. And then we as the planning officer then to advise and then to assess the, the, the mm. proposal to put to us. Mm. So things like um, access roads and so forth, uh, with so many developments going on and around the area, um, there must be a lot of collaboration about... Uh, you know who would be responsible for for a particular access road, or we're going to need to share this, or when that work starts, we're going to. I mean, there, there's quite a bit to keep, quite a few balls to keep in the air there. Yeah, well, I mean, as you've probably seen, there are a lot of development going on at the moment. We've got the uh, the, the container freight port uh, development in Rupert. We've also got the uh, uh, field road and side path road work going on. So all those developments all have impact on the local area. I mean, I'm actually very surprised uh, 
that the actual impact on the road and traffic from the side path which has been closed now is so minimal. Mm. I actually expected it to be <laughs> quite an issue when that happens. Because when the traffic management proposal was put forward to me, and I, said, and I looked well at done, it and I thought, I don't think it's actually going to work that well. Mm. Mm. And they would be silly. But, you know, touch wood, touch wood, it's all been working quite well. Yes. But I think it's, it all don't come down to how committed people are ensuring that work goes, goes ahead. And obviously our job also is to ensure that the cumulative effect is as minimised as well. In terms of when the, all these, the various development goes into place, it's, really, it's, not in our, it's not in my hand, it's not in the hand of uh, the, the, the public. It's in the hand of the, the contractors who have to undertake the work, mm. particularly the private sector work. Obviously, uh, the field road and other group of projects, they're government-funded projects, so whoever that, that, that can be controlled by the government to, to some extent in terms of when those things happen. But private sector work, it is up to the private, private individuals to decide when they have to go to, to, to take those works. Mm. And a little inconvenience is, uh, is, not, um, is, is not too much a bad thing. It takes us out of our comfort zones a little bit and makes us uh, appreciate when things go back to, yeah. to normal, I yeah. suppose. Um, so we will have to wait now uh, for so how long will this take uh, before we start to see things happening with regards to reaching full permission? Well, yeah, as I said, the application was discussed by the LBCA yesterday, uh, and now it will go to the, the, the ministers to consider the proposals. Uh, and as soon as it can be scheduled, uh, I'm hoping it will be scheduled before I leave, uh, so that I'll be able to present the report, because it's quite a detailed report, as yes. you've probably seen. Uh, my presentation yesterday to LBCA was 95 slides. Good grief. Uh, but the thing is, and and there, there is a lot to actually convey. Yes. It's, I think it's important the people who make decisions actually get all the information. Yes, we write, we write reports, but, but one thing that is for sure is that politicians or decision makers, they won't actually read all the report. And even if they do re read the report, because it's in the public domain, the public is there as well. So my job as an officer is to make sure every little thing is covered. Yes. And, and, and in this particular case, I think, my, my, as I said to you before, my emphasis is very much what is the impact on the environment. And therefore, I really need to bring that out so both the politicians who make the decisions or decision makers and also the public who are there, they actually understand. So that there's no um, uh, view from people that, oh, we weren't aware what this was going to happen. And communicating with different stakeholders um, within this project, because, of course, uh, you know, here on St. Helena, we like to sort of say, this is St. Helena, not the UK, and we do things a little bit differently. Uh, what kind of responses have you found, or, you know, sort of with, 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 with all the projects that you've been working on over the, the, the years that you've been here? Um, I'm sure you've learnt a lot from the guys here on St. Helena as well. Um, but um, you know, sort of, what sort of, uh, what's the flavour for responses for uh, from uh, responses from 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 the guys with regards to maybe doing something a little differently or or having a couple of idea changes to things or taking their ideas on board and so forth? How's that worked? Well, the the whole planning process 
there's, all, there's two stages. One is the, the, the informal side, and then there's a the formal side. For, in the informal side is when a developer or an applicant, they undertake consultation themselves before they actually prepare proposals. And I always encourage applicants to do that, what we call pre-application consultation. And that is to get ideas from the local people. What are the things which concern you? This is, this is a proposal I have. How can I actually improve that proposal? And then there's the formal side of it. I think the unfortunate thing is that developers, they do actually consult with the, the public, but we don't get a good response. I mean, they organise public meetings, we don't get a good response. Right. Or we get a response from those who are already knowledgeable about these things or are going to object to these things. And similarly, one of the things I've actually introduced since I've been here, but, I, but unfortunately I haven't done enough of it, is on big projects where we actually get planning application in, is actually organise public meetings as well. And I have actually done that on a couple of the projects. And similarly for the, uh, the satellite uh, earth stations, I did actually have a public, two public meetings. And I have to say, they weren't very well attended. I mean, attendance of eight and 12, is that good attendance? Not really, no. no. Um, Do you think, uh, Ishmael, it might be that we try something different with regards to uh, trying to reach people? And also, um, you know, we've, we have got an ageing population here, so a lot of people are starting to hang up their coats instead of sort of take them off their hook and, and or, or their boots, shall I say. Um, so that, so maybe those consultation meetings and so forth, maybe they've seen their day. Maybe there's another way that we can bring all this little stuff into layman's terms and get it out there to the people. Yeah, yeah users of social media seems to be very is helpful. But sometimes some of these things have to be in a face-to-face -face environment. Right, yes. I think one of the, what I would say is possibly having two meetings in the evening is not a good idea. Possibly you might have to have those meetings during the day. But is, is, how do you actually balance that out. But obviously one of the things we, we've got is we've got we've got resource issue uh, and we've also got workload workload as well. Yeah. It's balancing all those things together and mm -hmm. say how many meetings can we have? Can we have a meeting during the day? Mm. For instance, um, I'm just sort of thinking, and, and again, this is someone else's idea that's come about, but uh, having a discussion about something like this here on radio or, and then people in the comfort of their home, they're sitting down with their cup of tea, they have their coconut finger, yeah. and they might say, hey, ring in and ask about that, ring in and ask about that, I want to know about this, I want to, and actually, you know, people might be more uh, susceptible by being in the comfort of their home and yeah. uh, to, to, to listening and to um, engaging yeah. if um, and I know this is this is you know we love our comfort zones don't we <laughs> but, <laughs> but but it's it's as uh, you'd be surprised how many people actually do listen to radio you know and yeah. and um, and and they might be, be even away doing something or whatever but still listening and thinking oh hang on a minute I yeah. want to ask about that yeah, yeah. So. well it's good you touched on this um, in that I think up the, the press office at the government, they do actually publicise uh, a lot of the events which are happening, and also an application came in. And I have to say, I, I give credit to to Vince. Certainly, he did do quite a few uh, articles in the paper in that respect. But in terms of whether other media is really interested, I have to say I'm disappointed that uh, we didn't actually get a request mm. for like yourself or the other radio stations to come and talk. So the thing is, 
we can't actually come to you and say, look, I want to be on your radio. Mm. We've got to be invited. Mm. And so my disappointment is that perhaps we haven't been invited enough on some of these big projects to come and talk about. But then that was that same, similarly, I think we have to be very sensitive that uh, we can't actually come to you and say what our views are on this. Mm. Uh, because we haven't, until we actually completed our report, I can't give you my review. Yes. And yeah. obviously, what I actually say in my report is my view, not a decision. Mm. That is my advice to the decision makers. Mm. So we've got to be very sensitive sometimes mm. how we actually play some of these. Mm. And it but might just be, as you say, uh, that engagement. And uh, I think, um, so for here on St. Helena, people generally give us a shout. They people are not uh, 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 shy when it comes to, hey, we're coming on, can we, you know, have you got a, sp a slot for us? So we will certainly uh, make it clear to, to the planning and the, the development and, and, and the, you know, sort of the housing department and so forth, that if you want to, please just just come, just tell us, because sometimes, you know, we yeah. do miss on our radar if we're dealing with so many other things, like for instance, today is, uh, uh, you know, White Ribbon Day, so a lot of focus goes on that. Um, but um, we do um, say to departments, just give us a shout, because we are so, so happy yeah. to host anybody. But as you say, you don't want to come with half of this, half of that. It may just be a bit of um, uh, in, uh, uh, interaction, um, along the way, and then and then uh, pu pu publishing bits or, or, or talking about bits on the radio, but um, I think that stakeholder engagement, and we consider ourselves as stakeholders as yeah, well, yeah. Uh, because we're representing, you know, we're getting that out there for the people. But that whole um, element of stakeholder engagement from start to finish, from conception through to end user, um, it has to happen. It, yeah. it, no, no I, I, I quite support what, you, what you're saying. Um, but I think the issue we actually have is how do we actually balance all these things? Uh, you've got workload, you've got resource issues. Of course, and, of course. You know, how can we actually spread ourselves so thinly? Uh, I mean, the workload in planning particularly is, is immense. Wow. Uh, and we already have... And have you seen it? I mean, it's obviously we had the basil weed days and so forth, but it seems to have creeped up at the moment to quite a peak. I mean, planning is one of those things that um, even some even small applications for a, a house to build a house sometimes it can be can take a long time mm. to, to resolve, and yet similarly some big projects can be quite easy as well. So you can't really balance the, the, the two things together. And is legislatively is it um, supportive of is it where it should be so that you do have. The, the, the correct legislation in line with with what you're, yeah. with what you're needing to make decisions on. Yeah. So, 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 it, it is it is it is a balancing act. In terms of the workload, there is there's quite a lot. Um, I mean, if you took a look at it in terms of the, the plan, number of planning application we get, uh, we, we're hitting a hundred mark most years. But if you actually then look at what is the informal workload we've got, that that is immense. And like I said to you before, we try to engage with, 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 with the, uh, the local people as much as possible. And I always say to everybody, our office door is open and you can come in any time. Obviously, if we're not there, not in, the only thing we say is try to make an appointment because sometimes you come to the office and we might not be there, mm. we might be in a meeting. 
And that is the only obviously the, the issue we actually have. But at the same time, what I will say is even then, having said that, we don't really get many people, when you put big application particularly, actually come through the door and say, I'd like to see that application mm. and I want to, I would like to see more information on this. Mm. We don't have that. Mm. And I'd pop, again, this comes down to perhaps are people aware of it or do people really care? I don't know. Mm. Um, but they will care when it goes wrong. <laughs> if, exactly. if, sorry, is, if, not when. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's so much, uh, Ishmael, to celebrate because the fact that we're having this discussion means that there is activity. There is money coming through with regards to funding. Uh, there is activity. There's work for the guys out there to get stuck into. Uh, looking at this proposal, there is going to be, you know, a good bit of work for the local trades and so forth. So, um, so there is, is a lot to celebrate um, about this. Um, and um, yeah, actually, more people getting involved and seeing how we can, you know, just sort of listening to some of the stuff that you're sort of saying and thinking how, you know, even help uh, um, uh, on a. a for, for a month, or or would you do something for for you know for a few weeks to to try and understand or to help? Or but I, I also think that um, you know this is the 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 the, the issue that I have with SHG is that we need to be more um, open to um, to a bit and and I'm I'm being selfish when I say this, but to a bit more freelance um, expertise coming in, or not expertise, but experience or whatever uh, coming in and just. But again, like I say, I know you run ragged. Um, so, but there might be people out there who might be, you know, twiddling their thumbs and thinking, "Hey, you know what? I I, I can help out here." But um, yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, uh, that that is out of my remit because uh, any any projects which are out there on on site where people like to can make contribution, I think they, they need to approach those people who are actually managing those projects. Uh, and similarly, you know, if anybody who's got any views about planning and they think they can actually come and uh, help us with, we're always open to, to, mm. to hear how, how, the, 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 how we do things, how we can actually improve the, uh, the way we work. We're always open to, uh, to, to that. I think well, since I've been here, I, thought, I hope we have we actually made some improvements in the way we work. Uh, but like I say, my, my, my bottom line really is that I don't really get too many people coming through the door uh, wanting to know more about wanting more information about how we how we do things, uh, particularly on big projects. But similarly, uh, one of the things I always say is, and I, I drive people is before you do anything, come and talk to us, mm. so we can actually advise you uh, in terms of what you need to do, because. Even in things like building a house, can be quite requires a lot of uh, money uh, upfront. You know, people who actually prepare the plans for you, they charge you an arm and a leg almost. I understand. And you've put the water in the yeah. wrong place. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing is, before they actually go to somebody who's actually going to do the plans. Come and talk to us. Yes, absolutely. You know, come and, talk to us. and I, I, I really need to highlight that 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 you that that, that, that but that you've just said, Ismail, is that because very often, um, and I know I'm just saying for architects, I, I had a, a bunch of architects that work for us, and they would come up with these elaborate designs, these incredible designs, 
that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, you know, and, and give me so many different options to sort of, and yeah, and, and I, I, I mean, I, because we were coming at it from a larger um, purchase, we were able to, to get a, a good rate with them based on them doing um, plans for us over, a, a, yeah. a, but when, as, as an individual, if you you um, planning to have a house with glass frontage and this and that and so forth, and then the house actually doesn't, you know, it's facing the wrong way, a lot of that money can be wasted. Yeah. Just by or saved rather, just by you saying that ain't gonna work. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I say yeah, that's why it's important when if you are to do anything, whoever's going to do the work, draw do the drawing for you. Come to the office and talk to us. Mm. And we'll tell you whether that's, uh, that what you propose you have will actually work on that particular site. Mm. It was something you just touched on about design. I have to say, we I've actually, just in the last six months or so, I, we've actually approved two applications for a house, which are out of the ordinary, from the normal house we have on the island. Mm. And they are, if they are, once they're built, I think they will. Probably set a new standard in. Wow, grand say, designs. Oh, we, we want different design <laughs> of a house, which is slightly different in, in terms of the look and everything else. Mm. Um, one of them is actually going to be in, uh, up in St. Paul's, and the other one is going to be in Alarm Forest. Oh, I see. So I hope those, those applicants will proceed with their uh, proposals. Um, very shortly, and then uh, yeah. Mm. We, but Ishmael, we might see more grand designs coming here to St. Helena as the island starts to open. Uh, people start to have homes here and come and work here six months of the year. I don't know, sort of, a, we're not encouraging the Cornwall effect kind of thing, but um, but uh, we may have people, you know, sort of coming here to, to, to work for weeks at a time, and they may have pots of money where the designs get more elaborate and they, they become more interesting. But I suppose there's only so much we can do with regards to the materials that come in here because yeah. um, unless you ship it in um, and, and you're, you know, you're prepared to pay quite a bit of money, most St. Helenians don't have yeah. uh, that kind of money. Obviously, in terms of individual properties and the design, uh, it's very much dependent on you know, what, what they can get the materials in to, to build that. Yes, yeah, something again. So, many of the local people may not be able to afford that, so they they will very much gear to original local design in terms of their construction of their house. But there will be those who've got a bit of cash, and they want something different, mm. and they're prepared to get the material uh, from abroad. For instance, things like double cavities and um, and uh, uh, you know DPCs and so forth, uh, or damp-proof courses and and uh, and so forth. And um, we may see more of this in the future as the winter is starting to change. I, I mean, I I've, I didn't I'd forgotten that Saint Helena can have such blustery and incessant winters when it comes to raining and raining and raining. Um, and a lot of the um, homes on the island are single skin, but yeah. we may start to see double cavity and so forth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's certainly some parts, of, some some parts of the island which are sort of the wetter parts of the island. They certainly do need to have a much better construction. Uh, obviously, that, that's not covered by plan. That's covered by that, the building control section mm. uh, of my my uh, t team. So, building regulations are quite clear. What they set a minimum standard. They set a minimum standard. But you can go above that, and that's that's that they have cavity walls can actually be a much better way of construction. Uh, 
but even when we actually have building regulations, we do actually have issues with some of the some of the, uh, the construction work, and people have actually argued it's too expensive to actually have a build the, the standard you're putting putting on. But the building regulations are there for a purpose that is to ensure the quality of development, which is which is going, is up to meets the current day standard, both in terms of sustainability uh, and also things like health as well. So we don't have dampness in in in, in the houses. Uh, but again, you could go beyond the, beyond those. But the only thing is that it adds cost on absolutely. it adds a lot of power size on your construction absolutely. costs absolutely absolutely and and as i say that that the, the average you know saint Helenian won't have 120,000 or 250,000 200,000 to build a place you know sort of just uh, making it work uh, and a lot of these older properties on the island um they do have serious damp issues um yeah. um and i suppose in time to come perhaps maybe people might want to take them down and, and and do something about them but that whole issue of having and again it's it's these it's it's the mater material uh, the, the the machinery as well we we limited here on saint Helena as well with 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 machinery heavy heavy duty machinery there's yeah. only a few people who have got and then if somebody's using it over there you've got to wait five weeks for that and so that's something else that we, I suppose, we have to try. Like, like I said, resource and expertise is a big issue on the island, mm. and obviously with that, also equipment as well, the right side, right type of equipment. So, yes, uh, if you, if you could, if we could, actually, because we're so isolated uh, from the rest of the world, you know, I think this, that that sort of thing would always remain possibly unless. Mm the island suddenly becomes a, a haven for population yes, growth. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Ishmael, is there anything else that you would like to add based on this um, planning officer's report for the satellite earth station? Not on, not on that at all. I think that, that obviously that's been, as far as I'm concerned, that's now been dusted uh, it's because it's been approved by, it's gone to LDCA for this, for this, uh, who made a decision and it's now up to, to go to the uh, executive council uh, for the ministers to make the decision on the application. Uh, I have a few more things to do with regards to signing up that report for when it goes to uh, ministers, which I will do uh, on the next day or so. But, but the only thing I'll, I just want to go back to how, how planning affects individual local people. And that is uh, basically just to make sure that when you, have, when you get planning permission, you look at what the decision notice actually says. Because the decision notice will have a number of conditions. And what people don't, people forget is, once they've got a decision notice in their Yay, hand, they think, I got they it. think I've got it, and I can, <laughs> I can go out there and build, build, build what yeah. I want to build. Mm. And what we actually have is, quite often, the excavation which takes place does not actually accord with the plan which has been approved. And then we have problems. People come back to it, oh, or it comes, it comes to our light because our building control people have gone out on site once activation has taken place and said, this doesn't relate to what was approved. And then we have the problem of how do we actually resolve that issue. So my advice to everybody who actually gets permission, look at what the, what the, uh, the conditions are and also look at what the plans are and make sure whoever you contract to do the work does it accordance to the plan which have been approved? Mm. And if there are any amendments to the plan, that would need to be communicated back, back to... to yeah. If you want changes, we do actually have... Regularly we get minor variations to approved plans. That's basically where people want to make some changes 
once permission is granted, or once they actually start getting on site, they realise that, that the land is not exactly how it was they were looking at. Because once you actually clear some vegetation, you, you come across other things. And then they want to start make some changes to the, the plant. And we do, we do that regularly. But the important thing is, before you do actually do work, check what you want to do. How are you going to do it? And how does that fit in with the, the, the permission which will be granted to you? And once you have that completion certificate, that is very important, isn't it, Ishmael, for if you go and sell your house in the future, is that as important as in the UK when it comes to the completion certificate? This is what affects building regulations, basically. They, they check the construction side of it, and they then do the completion notice, and then you've got to make sure you've filled every, dealt with every aspect of the building control to actually have an occupation and the completion certificate. And if you don't have them, you can actually run into a problem when you sell a house. And your house can also be devalued as a result. So, um, yeah. so, um, Ishmael, you're heading off uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, you're going back to the UK and then you're going on to the Falklands. I am. I'm going back to the UK for a couple of weeks' rest uh, and then... You're not a Man United supporter, are you? I am. Oh, no! That's it. You should have told me that. You should have told me that at the beginning of the interview. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not born in Manchester, I'm bred in Manchester, so I lived my, all my early life in Manchester, wow. so I have a good reason to support Manchester. Well, you did very well yeah. last uh, night before last, yeah. so... Uh... You know, the other, thing, the other thing, when I did my A-levels, I did them under, under the shadows of the uh, Old Trafford stand, because I, the annex of my college was almost about 25 yards away from wow. the... Uh, <laughs> Wow. So you're happy that Ollie has been uh, given the, the, the heave home? I love, I love Ollie. I love Ollie. I think he's been a great, but it's just sad. It just didn't work out for him. No, no, yeah. fair enough. So you go off to the Falkland Islands and um, first time in the Falkland Islands? It will be my first, well, it was my first time in on later, so it'll be, yeah, it's all be my first well, um, I know we're going to do another discussion, hopefully, at some point uh, when we get Professor Chowdhury, um, hopefully, if he'll come along with us and have a discussion here. But from St. FM and from, from, well, from, from coming in and having this discussion, we wish yourself and your family the very best of luck uh, for the future. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll take some um, um, very happy and hairy memories with you when you go. I've, I've got lots of good memories of, of, island, uh, of the island. I, th I have really enjoyed my work here and I hope I've made uh, some positive contribution to the well-being of the island. Uh, obviously, only time will tell. Uh, I do actually, I've said to a lot of people, I hope I will come back uh, and actually see some of the projects which have been approved and see what the impact of those projects are. So I hope I will come back very shortly, yeah. Great. And okay. thank you for having me.